Welcome to Passion Life Church. And uh, we're, we're so thankful that you are here this morning. We're going to begin a brand new series that we've entitled Just Like Jesus. And the whole series is really based on looking at the personhood of Jesus and looking at the traits that he exhibited in his life. And I got to tell you, uh, you know, a lot of times people have these ideas of who Jesus is. And as I talk to people, and I'm sure that you do, a lot of times this idea of who Jesus is, is based on maybe some movie that they saw from Hollywood. Maybe it's based on just a painting. You know, unfortunately, sometimes it's just based on tradition. It can just be based on religion, you know, that they just take in. Or I hear people talk about Jesus that don't really know him. And I just think about, man, if you just knew him, if you could just see him for who he really is, you would love him. And here's the reality. The Bible says that when we see Jesus for who he really is, that you know what? Not only will you love him, but you'll be like him. And that's the premise of the series. That's the truth that we want to unveil truths in this series that as you walk out of here today, that you will be more like Jesus. And I want to ask you, how many of you would think, especially in this time when politics are going crazy in our world, how many of you think we could use some more people who are just like Jesus? How many of you think that was, that's what we really need? Amen. Amen. Could you imagine if more people acted like Jesus on the 15 North? 15 going south. Could you imagine more people acting like Jesus at your work? And that's what we hope that this series would uncover, that it would help you and I to really know him. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to John chapter 2. And if you're here today and you can turn in your Bibles or you can scroll in your Bibles if you have a scroller on your phone. And if you don't, if you didn't bring a Bible today, that's all right. We have a big, huge Bible today. And uh, we're going to talk about the first miracle that Jesus did. And today I've entitled today, It's Really a Joy Issue. Would you turn to your neighbor just real quick and say, it's really a joy issue. It's really, a, that's what it is. It's really a joy issue. How many of you know today that if your view of Jesus is flawed, your relationship with him won't work? So it's so important that we see, and I want to ask you, that: how do you see him? And I thought it would be good to just look at the very first miracle. You know, I learned in Bible college, if you want to look at the very purest form of something in the Bible, it's called the law of first mention. You go to where it was mentioned first. And I thought, let's look at what Jesus did first in John chapter two, verse one. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place. Anybody like weddings? A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Anybody know Jesus' mother's name? Anybody know Jesus? Mary, 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 good. So Mary was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, we have no more wine. Now, when I read the Bible, I have a very vivid imagination. I wonder if she said, Jesus, 
I don't know how you talk to Jesus. There's no more wine. Or did she say, Jesus, there's no more wine. I don't know. But regardless, Mary looked at Jesus and said, there's no more wine. Have you ever planned an event? I don't know if you ever planned. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about an event that you actually poured your heart into. I mean, ladies, you actually got on Pinterest and looked for some creative ideas for an event. How many of you have ever planned an event? And I'm talking about you sent out invitations. You wanted people to RSVP. You planned this event. I planned an event. You know, I've been a youth minister for probably 20 years or so. I've planned events for thousands of teenagers. I've planned so many things. And when my, me and my wife got married, she said, Phil, I want you to do the planning. Isn't that crazy? Usually it's the women that say, hey, we're going to plan it. So we collaborated on the colors. I'm colorblind. I, when we, I tell people that. They're like, you're colorblind. You only see black and white. No, colors mesh together for me, like dark blue and light and, and like dark black. Man, it's, it meshes together. And people are astounded because I do all of our media and it's all colors, you know. And so I know my weaknesses. So I have to ask my wife, do you like these colors? And so we collaborated. And I'm just telling you, I planned our wedding to the T. And let me just give you a little glimpse of what we did. We thought at our wedding, it wasn't always going to be about us at the wedding. It was going to be about our guests. We wanted our guests to have fun. So our theme was movies and we did a red carpet for all of our guests. And as people showed up, we had kids in the youth group on each side, like the paparazzi and our guests would walk in and all the kids would clap and take pictures. It freaked our guests out. I'm just telling you, I didn't know that I didn't plan for, but it freaked them out. And they come in and they were actually celebrated. I mean, how many of you, you know, you go into a wedding, it's quiet and you don't know what to do. It's real awkward. You have a clothes that you haven't worn in like 10 years. And you know, it's just weird, but we thought let's make it about the guests. We had people taking pictures of our guests. We had famous movies playing about love, 27 dresses and all of these great things. And then we went into our, how we met. And one day I'll share that with you and the wedding was going off great. I had everything planned. But how many of you know there's times in life that you just don't plan for? Everything is going great. We're lighting the candles. And we knew at that time when we lit the candles, we didn't want any dead time. So we wanted a song to be sung. My brother who sings sang a great song. We lit the candles. And then as soon as that moment died out, our pastor is about to say something. And ladies and gentlemen, one of our groomsmen farted. Can I say that in church? They passed. I mean, it was as quiet. It was the most beautiful moment. We lit the candle and it was quiet. And this dude, and I looked, I looked up the definition of fart in the Webster's Dictionary. And it says a mild explosion between the legs. Ladies and gentlemen, there was an explosion of um, some point in our wedding. It was never planned for. We have it on video. We rewind it and play it and rewind it and play it and just laugh. We can't believe it. He almost fainted and we heard later you know, he had some stomach issues going on. Obviously. Obviously. 
But I believe that this wedding that Jesus showed up at in John 2 is just a great example of life. It's a great example when you plan like this bride and groom and all your guests come, but what you didn't plan for happens. You run out of wine. That may not mean a lot to us today because for us in our American culture, our emphasis is on the ceremony. I mean, our emphasis is on this. I mean, and it, it, it really is. Our emphasis is on what, where everything is about the ceremony and the reception is great. It's fun. But in Jewish culture, all of the emphasis was on the reception. I mean, in Jewish culture, they would celebrate for seven days, have feasts. Can you imagine a wedding reception for seven days? They would have feast after feast. And you know what's interesting is that they didn't plan to run out of wine. And I think that when I read this story, it's a great example of what happen, can happen even in life. As we plan out our lives, how many of you have a plan for your life? You have this picture, but guess what? The plan didn't happen. I talk to people all the time. Me and my wife moved here from Texas about four years ago. And I talk to a lot of people in, in this area. And one of their biggest goals is, I'm moving to San Diego. I'm moving to San I mean, I got a timeline. We are headed to San Diego. I've talked to people that say, I should have been in San Diego by now. But I'm still here. And I think that this event for this bride and groom shows us what happens when what you planned for didn't work out. What happens and what do you do when you thought, man, I would be retired by now and I'm still working. I'm still working. What would you do when you thought, hey, I would be in San Diego by now, but I'm not. How, how do you react in your life when you plan for this great dream and the dream that you plan for doesn't look like reality? You had this expectation, great expectation, but that's not what happened. What do you do when the people you thought were going to be standing next to you are no longer with you because now they're in heaven? What do you do in life? When the people you thought were going to be standing next to you, that you would be doing life with, you look and they're not there. You didn't plan for that. It's not how this thing was supposed to work out. And I'm sure this bride and this groom felt the same way. It wasn't supposed to work out this way that we run out of wine. That this is not the way it's supposed to work out. What about for all the single people you thought, I'd be married by now. Man, I had a plan. Man, I was on match.com. No, I'm kidding. I, I had a plan and it didn't work out. But what do you do? Well, maybe in the marriage that you're in, wasn't the fairy tale that you thought it would be. It just didn't go the way you planned. This is what's happening in this bride and this groom's life. The wine runs out. And see, the bride and the groom, listen to this. They find themselves in the greatest moment, in one of the greatest moments of their life. And guess what? Something goes wrong. Something goes wrong. 
And see, one thing when you read your Bibles, ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that we have to know is that there's no detail in the Bible that is insignificant. The setting of this particular miracle that Jesus is about to do is not insignificant. It's happening at a wedding. And at a wedding, expectations are high. There's pressure. I've done many weddings. And I'll tell you what, it's like the bride's mom. I mean, she'll just look at you as the minister. You better not screw this thing up. My daughter dreamt about this her whole life. You better not mess it up. I was at a wedding one time and beautiful couple. They look like models. The little kid comes down. He's got a matchbox car. Gets to the front, drops the matchbox car, and the matchbox car goes all the way under the bride's dress. And she goes, oh. Didn't work out. High expectation. A lot of pressure. But ladies and gentlemen, Isn't that usually when we need a miracle? When we need a miracle is when expectations are high, when we thought life would be this way and it's not, it came out this way. And this is the setting of this story. And what makes this miracle so interesting to me is that it was performed in the setting with high expectation. And that's when we need the miracle the most. And I love this because as we look at this story, The problem is the wine ran out. The wine ran out. In this culture, this was the emphasis, was the reception, and the wine went out. Listen, Jewish people in this time had a saying about the wine at the reception, and the saying was this, where there is no wine, there is no joy. Where there is no wine, there is no joy. Because the wine at the reception, this is important, listen, The wine at the reception represented the joy. And I came to tell you that today, most of the issues that we're facing, it's a joy issue. The wine ran out. The joy ran out. The joy ran out. And you know what? Today, I want to dedicate this message today to every single person who has high expectations of life. But guess what? The wine ran out. The joy has ran out. And you know what? I don't know if you're like me, but there's a lot of people and what they're doing is they're running on empty. Can you imagine being at a reception and the wine runs out? You're running on empty. And today I want to give you three signs of what I call running on empty that I think in these moments, here's what we can tend to do. And then I'm going to show us how they got the miracle that God wanted them. Number one, here's what happens. I just call these three warning signs of when you're running on empty. When you're running on empty, number one, guess what? We can focus on feelings instead of faith. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. We start to focus on feelings. Can I just tell you, feelings always focus on the problem. See, when we focus on feelings instead of faith, we're focusing on the natural problem instead of the spiritual solution. And a lot of times the problems that you face, you need a spiritual solution. And feelings will only look at the problem, but faith will grab into the spiritual solution and bring a miracle. How many of you believe that today? You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. There are people now in sheer panic, depending on which, which presidential candidate wins, they're going to move out of the country. We're not supposed to walk 
by feelings. We're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. Can I just give you a good word? Whatever candidate is elected on November, God is still on the throne, ladies and gentlemen. And my Bible says that the government rests upon his shoulders. And you know what? That doesn't mean we don't vote, but it does mean that we have a higher trust than presidential candidates. Come on, we are a part of a different kingdom and it is called the kingdom of God. How many of you believe that today? But when, yeah, come on, you can give him a good round of applause. When you're running on empty, focus on feelings instead of faith. Here's the second thing. When you're running on empty, we exaggerate the negative. We start to exaggerate the negative. It's like this couple could have started saying, oh my goodness, now we're going to be defined by that. We're that couple that the wine ran out. We're going to be shopping at Winco and people are going to look at us and go, that's the couple. Oh, they had the worst wedding ever because the wine ran out. That's the couple. Look at them. Look at that. But you know what? We should not exaggerate the negative. You know what we should do is we need to take God's word and we need to magnify the promise over, over the problem. And what happens is when you start to exaggerate the negative, you start to begin to make the problem and exalt the problem. But yet there's a promise that can overcome your problem in Jesus name. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 talks about God's promises. And it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. Would you say that with me? Say yes. They are yes and amen. Now, you may be waiting on a promise today. You may be waiting on God to do something. And I, can I just tell you, they are yes and amen. Maybe you haven't experienced it yet, but all of God's promises are yes and amen. Here's the third thing I find when you're running on empty we begin to really focus on what we don't have instead of what we do have. The wine, the wine is gone. And they start to focus on something that is seemingly insignificant instead of focusing on what we have. I believe that this week I prayed over this message and God reveals stuff to me. And as I just tune in and I think about it, I want you to think about this thought. Here they are crying over the wine that is gone. And yet the one who created marriage is at their reception. His name is Jesus. And instead of focusing on Jesus, we can focus on the wine. But Jesus was the one that created this whole thing called marriage. He even uses it that we are the bride of Christ. That's who we are. And he uses that. Here he was at the reception. But can I just tell you that your joy is directly connected to your thanksgiving. The more that you thank God for things, you will see your level of joy go up. It's interesting. If you look in the New Testament, the word for thanksgiving is a word called eucharisto. Charisto, charis, charisto is thanksgiving. Do you know what joy is in the Greek? Joy in the Greek is kara. In other words, the foundation of your thanksgiving or the result of your thanksgiving is always joy. Why do you think right after Halloween, the whole atmosphere changes and people become 
become thankful. And you know what? You see joy. You see joy during Christmas. You know why? People become thankful. People start to thank God for what they have. See, I'm not talking about thanking God for problems. I'm talking about thanking God that Jesus came to your reception and the son of man is in your life. God is here and he can do the difference. But so many people are running on empty. You know, the Bible says in Nehemiah 8, 10, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't need another monster drink. Come on, somebody. You don't need four or five different cups of coffee. It's a joy issue that you have because your joy is directly tied to your strength. If I could do a poll of your strength, I could tell you where your joy's at. I could tell you where your joy's at. And the enemy runs hard to get your joy so he can get your strength. Come on, can I hear a good amen, somebody? Man, this is a good message. I may amen myself. I think I'm going to show up next week. It's a good message. And so here we have, they run out of wine. And Mary, Jesus' mother, notices that they ran out of wine. And so Jesus, she tells Jesus, and this is what Jesus says in John chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, woman... Why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever. Listen to what Mary says to the servants. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And I believe that they saw a miracle and we'll see miracles in our life. If we'll do these four things. Number one, do what Jesus tells you to do. Do what Jesus tells tells you to do. You know, many times we're running on empty because we're not doing what Jesus told us to do. I knew I'd only get two amens on that one. Many times we're lacking joy because we're doing things that God never intended us to do. And then now we're running on empty. But if we could just do what Jesus says to do, I'm telling you the issue of joy can be restored in our life. And this couple and the bride and the groom planned this great wedding, yet in all their plans, the plans ran out. And can I just tell you, in all your great plans, if you don't include Jesus in the plan, the wine will always run out. But his plan is always better than our plan. And you know what? I can plan the best that I can, but I'm still going to make mistakes. But you know what I love about this bride and groom? I love about this bride and groom. They did one thing right. They invited Jesus to their wedding. I wonder today how you see Jesus. I wonder in all your party plans, if when you're putting your reservations together, if you would have invited Jesus to your wedding. Some of you wouldn't invite Jesus to your wedding because you were gonna have wine. And you would think that Jesus doesn't wanna be around wine, so you wouldn't invite Jesus to your wedding. And yet it was that they ran out of wine and Jesus was gonna turn the water into wine. But I love the bride and groom because in their invitation, they invited, listen to this, they invited Jesus into their situation. And if you're gonna see a miracle in your life, you gotta stop doing things like you wanna do them and invite Jesus into your wedding, invite Jesus into your life, invite Jesus into your circumstance and do what he tells you to do. Now Mary tells the servants, Why would she have to tell them, do whatever he tells you to do? You know why? Because what he's about to tell them to do is going to, nobody's going to understand. And it's like Mary's telling the servants, listen, he's going to tell you to do something. Just do what he tells you to do. Look, I know he's a little different. He's a little special. I raised him. 
but do whatever he tells you to do. You know what Isaiah tells us in verse 55, chapter 55, it talks about God's plans. It says, this plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. See, it's a good thing that we don't understand God at times. Because if you could figure everything out about God, you wouldn't worship him. Because that means that you would limit God to the size of your brain. And there's things that you're never going to understand. And God is famous. My church family, can I just be honest? God is famous for doing things in your life that you will not understand. You just got to understand that because you can't understand everything. He's God. His ways are higher. Can I just say this in all humility? Will you hear me? God is smarter than you. Some of you didn't say amen, and I'm really concerned. Really concerned. God's wiser than you. He sees into the future, and he wants what's best for you. And he looks. And see, the problem that people have is when Jesus says to do something, they say, no, I'm not going to do it till I understand it. I'm not going to do it until I understand it. And so many people serve God from this direction, from their head to their heart, instead of from their heart to their head. I know people, I have friends. If they can't figure it out, does, nope, I don't believe that. Wow. Wow. We reduce God and we put the, it, him in this little box. Can I just tell you, if you can figure it all out, you don't need faith. Let me try this side over here. If you can figure it all out, you don't need faith. And you know what pleases God? Faith. It, it's faith. It doesn't make sense for us to come into this auditorium and just blanket show up and, and blanket the whole place with flyers. And we just threw out faith. And you know what? People showed up. You're here. Come on, somebody. Because it takes faith. Faith is what pleases God. It's not feelings. It's faith. Do what he says. And here's number two. Here's why they saw a miracle. And I believe that we can see a miracle too. Not, not, not just doing what Jesus says, but you know what? Focus on what God wants to do inside of you. You know what I noticed about Jesus? Every time he does a miracle, he teaches something. He teaches people something. It's pretty amazing. I'm going to do this whole message on Thanksgiving, and it's really about Thanksgiving. There's so much in our Thanksgiving. Do you know that your joy, grace, and Thanksgiving are all packaged together? The Greek word for grace actually is also in the word Thanksgiving. You know what's interesting? Is every time you thank and you give thanks, more will come to your life. Do you remember the lepers that came to Jesus? I think there were 10 and they came and they all got healed. And do you remember one came back and said, thank you? Listen, listen to this. Do you know that Jesus did more for the one that came back and said, thank you? Because he, he gave, he said, because you came and you you said, thank you. I'm going to give you a little nugget. Check this out. Your faith has made you whole. So if you ever need another miracle, just know how you did it. Guess what? He got more than the other nine because he came back and said, thank you. So there's a, a, a thankfulness. God, do you remember? Lazarus is dead. Jesus could have just said, roll away the stone. 
But that's not what he said. You know what he said? He looked at everybody before he raised Lazarus from the dead. And he says, you see that dead man? I am the resurrection and the life. Woo-hoo! I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Everybody got a revelation that day of right standing there is the resurrection and the life. So my church family, can I just tell you, it's not just about the miracle. It's about what God wants to do in you too. And he wants to show us something. And what Jesus is about to show us in this reception is amazing. Because he's about to turn water into wine. Now notice, he he could have just snapped his finger. He could have looked at it with Superman. Come on, uh, uh, x-ray vision and turned and just scanned it. And he could have turned all of that water into wine. But he didn't do that. You know why? Because he wanted to do something deeper. See, in miracles, God wants to do something in you too. He wants you to learn something from him. And he's about to show us, I think this is important, that the joy that you need is a deeper inner work. The issue is not your job. The issue is a joy issue. The issue at your marriage and in your marriage is a joy issue. It's an inner work. Because can I just say, when God restores the joy to your life, watch out when you show up to work. When when God restores the joy in your life, watch out marriage, because it's gonna be a great marriage. You know what? The issue that a lot, I, I was thinking about this, how many people have joy issues? I know people who are on drugs. Guess what? It's a joy issue. I know people who are spending money that they don't have to go on vacation after vacation because they still can't get satisfied. You know why? It's a joy issue. It's a joy issue. Spending money we don't have, buying clothes that we don't need because we're just not happy. You know why? It's a joy issue. And Jesus is going to show us it's going to be a deep work in here when I restore the joy. So this is what he does. He gets these water pots that are used, listen to this, for ceremonial washings. So before, let's just bring this into modern times. Let's just say today you were coming to church. We would have all of these water pots out. You would have to wash your hands, listen, and clean yourself up before you came into the temple. Now, it wasn't just like some of us wash our hands. We wash our hands, you know, and stick it under the dryer. This was you had to wash your hands. If it dripped off your fingers and went to the ground, you had to continue to do it until the water fell off of your elbows back into the water pots and they had people watching to make sure that you did it right because you had to purify yourself before you went into the temple in other words this was religion clean yourself up before you come and Jesus is going to show them he gets the water Now listen, this is crazy. He could have put the water and said, bring me the wine vases. I'm going to put wine in the wine vases. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He put water in the water pots that were used for ceremonial washing. And what Jesus was saying and what he's saying to us is that religion will never cause you joy. Never. 
You cleaning up yourself and washing up yourself is never going to bring you joy. But you know what? Because I'm at this reception, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn water into wine. I'm going to take dead religion and give you a relationship that will solve the joy issue in your life. Jesus is at the reception to turn water into wine. Jesus is here today. So we don't have to run on empty that we can live a life that is filled with joy. Are you still breathing this morning? And so the purification water pots were used to wash hands, make sure you were clean. And Jesus says, you know what? We're not doing it that way anymore. I came to bring joy to your life. Woo! I don't know if it gives you joy today that you don't have to clean yourself, that God will do an internal work. He makes you holy. He makes you righteous. You can never do that. Actually, that's not going to bring you joy when you have to do it yourself. That'll make you depressed. You know why? Because some people are so busy trying to clean themselves and they just can't do it. You know why? It's a joy issue. I think it was David that said, God, bring back the joy of my salvation. I think joy is one of the greatest characteristics of a Christian. It should be joy. It should be joy. See, but some people don't see Jesus as joyful. They don't see him that way. But Jesus' first miracle brings joy back to the party. Focus on what God wants to do in you. you know what the Bible says? That in his presence is fullness of joy. And if you're visiting us today, I want you to know something about our church. We truly believe that in God's presence that there's fullness of joy. That's why we set up the lights. That's why we sing happy music. You know why? Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Yeah, there's a time to be reverent. There's a time where we're still and that we know that he is God. But my church family, we need to celebrate the presence of God. And what is God doing in you? And here's number three. This is what they did, and I believe that we need to do. If we're going to see a miracle in our life, we need some people that are willing to believe the unbelievable. So they take these water pots, these ceremonial water pots, and look at verse 9. It says, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was wine and did not know where it came from, and then in my Bible it has parentheses, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. Hey, we're back in business. There is wine. My church family, when we call on Jesus, he will do miracles. You know, Mark chapter 10, verse 27 says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Now, when we read the scripture, we go, man, and we're like looking at other people with man. No, he's talking about you. With me, it's impossible. But guess what? With God, all things are possible. See, I can't just say, I can't just say all things. I got to say all. He's just all. In Spanish, it's todo. All things are possible. And can I ask you a question? Do you believe that God can restore the joy into your life? when you're running on empty. Can I ask you, 
Can you believe that when your plans fail, that Jesus's plans are better and that he can do a miracle? I wanna have a church and I believe the church of Jesus Christ should be a church that believes the unbelievable. I love being a pastor because I hear this all the time. Pastor Phil, I never thought I'd be in church and now I'm in church every Sunday. We need a church that believes the unbelievable. For some of you, you never thought you would be off drugs, but you know what? You need to start believing the unbelievable, and that's when it happens. There are some of you, and I was a single guy as a youth pastor. I thought I never would get married. I'm telling you, but I had to believe the unbelievable, and then hallelujah. (laughs) Working at the cafe was Valerie Rodarte, and God had put a desire in my heart for coffee. And I went every day, and I probably drank more than I should, but we connected, woo, a divine appointment. And I am telling you, and I say that, and I talk to single people all the time because there's some of you in here, and you're just wondering, and I'm telling you, you need to start believing the unbelievable. And by the way, church is one of the best places to meet people. Amen. I just thought I'd throw that in there. You believe the unbelief. And here's the last one for today. Are you glad that you came? This is to me probably the favorite part of of this story. Number four, if you're going to see a miracle, expect the best. The best. Look at verse 10. And he said to them, every man, now this is the master of the feast. He's the one that tasted the wine. Now he's going to comment on Jesus's wine. Listen to what he says. He says, and he said to them, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. One translation says this, this guy drank this wine and he says, you have kept the best wine for the end. What they used to do is put out the best wine. Come on, they were just trying to save some money. Put out the best wine, the strongest wine. And as people would drink, they would dilute it and dilute it and dilute it. That sounds like a plan, but guess what? Even with that plan, it didn't work. And my church family, listen to this. Jesus takes ceremonial washing pots and he takes that water and he doesn't just turn it into some cheap wine. He turns it into the best wine that this guy has ever tasted. And I'm telling you today that when we have a joy issue, until you find joy in Jesus you will never find the best joy because the best joy only he can give. And you know, as I close today, you know, a lot of people confuse joy and happiness. They really do. They they confuse it. You know, happiness can be anything that makes you feel good. And I mean anything, coffee, relationship. Do you know that there's even bad things that you can do that can bring you happiness? You know, the Bible says that even sin is pleasurable for a season. Sin will make you happy for a season. Then it'll bring you into bondage. But if your goal is just happiness, guess what? Happiness is always tied to what's happening. 
If, and things are good, I'm happy. Things aren't good, I am not. Do you know that joy is not even like that? Joy has nothing to do with your circumstance. Joy, as a matter of fact, is more evident when circumstances are bad. When circumstances are bad, that's when joy stands up. Joy is not connected to circumstance. Joy is connected to our Savior. You know, when you look at joy, I mean, there's so many definitions, but I want to end with this today. I hope this would help you with the joy issue. Because I really believe that joy should be a defining characteristic of a Christian's life. How would you define joy, Pastor Phil? I think the Bible would bear this out. Joy would be defined as your soul's satisfaction in God. Your soul's satisfaction in God. Because you know why? God never disappoints. See, people think if I move to San Diego, there'll be joy. People think when I get and find my partner, there'll be joy. And their joy is tied to some place or something. My church family, joy has to be tied to someone. I'm going to make a statement that's going to be a little bit tough, but it's the truth. Until you find your satisfaction in Jesus, you will never find satisfaction anywhere else. You know what? I know. I know. And can I just tell you for a guy who's planning a church and having and being a father and being married and working, life isn't like what I thought it would be. But you know what? It hasn't affected my joy because my joy. Yeah, come on. You can give him a good round of applause. My joy doesn't come from ministry. My joy doesn't even come from my wife or my son. I love them. My joy comes from my satisfaction in Christ because when everything else goes haywire, he remains the same. He remains constant. And see, if your joy is tagged to your next promotion, you will be depressed until you get it. But can I just tell you, what does that have to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, the world's going to go haywire, but we have an anchor. We have someone in our life who is steady. And I have found that come what may come, Jesus is my foundation. And my soul finds satisfaction in him. I need to say this. I mean, it's a church. I need to say this because we talked about wine today. I know people who find and try to find their joy in wine. I know people who drink wine every single day and they still have no joy. This sermon is not about the wine. This sermon is about Jesus bringing joy to your life. Do you know that God values joy so much that it's a fruit of the spirit. You know what I think is so cool about Jesus? It's just like Jesus to restore joy to the party. And you know what he did, my church family? Not only did he restore joy, he saved the bride and the groom, the shame and the embarrassment of making a mistake, 
not planning well. Theologians believe that one of the reasons why the joy, why the wine ran out is because the bride and the groom didn't have enough money to buy enough wine. And you know what? In all of our plans, all of our mistakes, here is Jesus, come on, who wants to bring joy back into your life. Not because you planned it all, not because you have it going on, but because we open up our heart to him and say, Jesus, come to my wedding. Jesus, come into my situation. It's really tough to look at Jesus and say, the wines ran out. I didn't plan well, but it's in those moments that Jesus restores the joy into your life. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com 